0: with award shows, now you have these big campaigns to win these awards. If it's a question of who spends a lot of money to win an award, the significance of the award is gonna diminish. The Oscars, for example, are not a signifier for people about what interesting movies might be out there.
1: And it also makes me think about audience too. I keep coming back to audience and how all of this affects the people that we make films for. Hello, out there, and welcome to Distribution Advocates Presents. I am your host, Avril Speaks, producer, filmmaker, and co founder of Distribution Advocates. Our team has commissioned this series of conversations where we delve into concerns about the current landscape of independent film distribution. We'll chat with folks who are navigating these spaces, debunk some outdated myths, and look to innovative, sustainable, and equitable solutions for distributing films to their waiting audiences. In this episode, we'll take a look at the award system and the massively expensive campaign runs that have taken it over. I'm joined by fellow distribution advocates co-founder, Abby Sun, who has served on awards committees for the IDA Documentary Awards, Gotham Awards, and Cinema Eye. So good to see you. I know. It's good to see you too. How's it going? Every single
2: day I have a close brush with the awards campaign organizing ecosystem. IDA is very involved in it because of our fall screening series, which is awards campaign focused.
1: So you're on here talking about awards and you're literally in the middle of this right now. Can you tell us a bit about your awards experience?
2: I started out as a film festival programmer. I worked for film festivals that actually didn't have competition sections. So I started out in a way that was very non-competitive and really about community building. And I started programming at regional documentary film festivals. And then also because I was a film festival programmer, I started being invited onto nominating committees and selection committees for many of the end-of-year awards that we have. For example, before I started working here at IDA, I was on three separate juries or nominating committees for IDA's own documentary awards, which are the world's oldest awards purely for documentary film. But I've also been on the nominating committees for the Gotham's documentary award and also for Cinema Eye, which gives out lots of awards in different categories to documentary films. I've landed at IDA, where now I run educational seminars for documentary filmmakers and our industry conference. And one of the number one requests that we get for event programming is, are awards campaigns worth it for documentary filmmakers?
1: Well, it's also interesting that that's become such a part of strategy. And the goal and the end result of filmmakers is, how do I get an award? It's become an interesting piece of how filmmakers get recognized, how films get recognized or not. So many producers and investors and filmmakers themselves even now see awards as the ultimate goal, sometimes even more so than breaking even, which results in large amounts of resources and money and time poured into campaigns with little potential for recoupment, if any. So you actually spoke with filmmakers Rintu Thomas and Sushmit Ghosh about their campaign run for Riding with Fire, which received an Oscar nomination for Best Featured Documentary in
2: 2022. Yeah, Rintu and Sushmit self-organized their own Oscar campaign and were able to get nominated
1: in the end. Let's get into what they had to say about the awards process and navigating that system.
3: My name is Rintu Thomas. I'm a filmmaker. I direct, produce films and I'm based in New Delhi, India.
0: My name is Sushman Ghosh and I'm basically married to Rintu. <laughs> uh, I, well, I'm also a filmmaker based in India. Rintu and I met in film school. We founded a film company called Black Ticket Films in 2009 with this big dream of making films that will change the world and all of that. And it's been an adventure.
2: Thank you, Bintu, Shushmit, for joining us. As part of your adventure, you made a film called Riding with Fire, which was nominated for an Oscar. So
3: what happened? How did it get all the way up to the Oscars? When the film was selected for Sundance, it felt like this is it. This is the perfect launch um, for, for this um, baby that took half a decade of our lives to come into being we had sales agents and the film won two awards, including an audience award, which is a good sign that a global distribution is coming. But it didn't come. There were several reasons mentioned by the sales agents. Uh, It's a pandemic year. There's a whole lot of films. It's a uh, subtitle film. It's a film on journalists, which usually doesn't really do well and all sorts of things. But as the film traveled from one festival to the other, it just kept winning awards, which was a sign of Okay, it's speaking to the world. By the end of the year, we didn't have any distributors. So it was just like, how do we keep expanding the life of this film? And a lot of filmmaker friends, especially in the US, were like, you know, you folks should do an Academy campaign. What is an Academy Awards campaign for a film?
2: What are the components? What do you
3: do? You start with the understanding that this is not about the best film, whatever that means. This is about the film that does best publicity is best seen and is best heard in the whisper network
0: i think a lot of filmmakers come into this for the first time with a clear-eyed understanding that it's not really a system that is based on merit it is not necessarily the best films that will always get spoken about when i say best that is always in quotes And really early on, we decided to speak to a lot of filmmakers and folks from the industry and thought leaders. And people started connecting us to directors and producers who had done successful awards campaigns.
3: We decided, let's reach out to them and say, what did they do that worked? What did they do that did not work?
0: Really, it's almost like running for political office. You're one of the candidates. You want people to vote for you. And that's exactly why it's called a campaign. But you have to do it in an elegant way, in a sophisticated way. The system is designed in a way where it is a race that you need to run strategically.
3: The industry in general need to see you as a contender, uh, as somebody in the race. Because by qualifying, it doesn't naturally uh, mean that uh, everybody knows that they need to vote for you. You have to have a publicist. Beautifully curated screenings where members are invited, dine, wine. And then you activate the whisper network. There are strict rules around canvassing voters. Yet we realized that while these were the rules, there are loopholes. It's not possible to do this without publicists creating a roadmap. But we also didn't have a lot of money. A lot of all of this was simply not possible. The economics were against us. What is the amount that it costs?
0: You need to have a significant sum of money to be able to do this in a way that can be uh, gratifying and effective. You need to have a budget for publicists. Now, you have publicists on the American side, but ideally, you also need to have a publicist who knows how to engage with international voters because the documentary branch right now is the most diverse branch within the academy. So you're looking at two sets of publicists. While doing the Academy campaign, you also want to run for the BAFTA, which is on the British side, a separate set of expectations and costs, etc. A lot of us get pulled into it because a lot of folks are like, hey, the title's going to get amplified. Voters across the pool will know about this. Why don't I run that campaign as well? But that's an additional cost. But you need to start with bare minimum, I would say at least a $50,000 base structure and then start building tactical partnerships, allies, and raising funds for the news organizations.
1: Wow, $50,000 minimum. And as I understand it, that was on the low end because Rentu and Sushmit ran their campaign during a pandemic year when most screenings were virtual. The general base cost for a campaign is usually closer to $200,000.
2: Yeah, the costs are really steep. I briefly spoke with publicist Kayla Heyer about awards publicity as well. Though she herself is not specifically an awards publicist, she mentioned some concerning practices that she's noticed. I'm Kayla
4: Sarah Heyer. I am a film publicist, working a lot in genre films and smaller independent films, genre film festivals, and also recently kind of into the whole New York art house theatrical scene.
2: Would you ever want to get into awards publicity?
4: You know, it's it's a whole different world.
2: You got to play ball. You know, if one of these
4: smaller distributors thinks they really have a chance at something for an Oscar win, they can hire up to four firms, like two for North America, two for international. And each of those firms, who knows how many people is involved. It is a beast. It's also, from what I can understand, a potential like massive money hole for a lot of these distributors that could very heavily backfire. It's also so far from what I personally do. You know, this is just my outside experience, but like award PR is really just playing ball. And how many flashy LA screenings can you set up? What cool filmmaker can you have to like introduce your filmmaker? And there's a version of that that's valuable on like the theatrical roadshow situation too, where we ask our filmmakers to always bring out your cool friends to host a Q&A with you. Anyone that has a social media following, they should moderate your Q&A. When we really think about awards PR and the insane amount of money involved in it and, like, the award structure in itself, what does it really benefit?
2: I don't know who it benefits. Yeah, it's an even narrower slice of the dream that filmmakers and distributors are chasing because it's incredibly difficult to get into Sundance and into TIFF. But it's easier than getting nominated for an Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So even from a publicist perspective, somebody who has a below the surface understanding of the ways these campaigns work, the methods and shape of the system raises eyebrows, especially financially. And this has been a problem that's been recorded for a while. You can find articles on IDA's documentary magazine website from 2010 with Marshall Curry and Alex Gibney giving their tips on how to keep an Oscar campaign low. Costs of campaigns has been increasing for about a decade and a half, two decades, but it's really escalated in the last three to four years. Right now, the landscape has been morphed by the introduction of streamers into the prestige documentary marketplace. What I mean by that is that the streamers, especially the ones that are tech money funded, So the Apple TV Pluses, the Amazon Prime videos, the Netflixes of the world, they're not considering acquisitions of documentaries in the traditional sense. How much is this going to make when I release it into the public marketplace? For them, they have discovered that it is a lot cheaper comparatively to run an awards campaign for a documentary film than it is to run a Best Picture awards campaign.
1: So you're saying that streamers are switching into the documentary awards space to build prestige for their brands instead of competing in the fictional awards categories, which have even more costly campaigns. As a result, their primary criteria for independent acquisition has switched to awards potential rather than audience engagement. How has this shift in focus affected the economics surrounding awards, considering the immense buying power of these streamers backed by big tech or industry giants?
2: What we have seen in the last few years in documentaries specifically is this rapid escalation of budget for award campaign marketing and also in purchase prices for documentary films themselves. It's created this inflated expectation on filmmakers' end of the importance of participating in these awards campaigns and the expectation that a documentary film could be worth tens of millions of dollars.
1: Can you break down the realities of award campaigns entering a film into the awards cycle and just talk about the realities of what that actually entails?
2: The traditional actual activities that distributors and filmmakers engage in for an awards campaign primarily consists of email writing, awards campaign screenings that can include the fall film festivals. Film festivals have awards too, typically. There are film festival awards that are closely linked to award season success. If we're talking at the highest level, for example, for Oscar Best Picture, then traditionally the Audience Award at TIFF is considered a marker of frontrunner status for Best Picture Oscars. So, for also, it includes things like your traditional marketing, such as advertisements and. Marketing email blasts through organizations that targeted members and subscribers to specific email lists that have a likelihood of having Academy voters or whoever the voters for the awards subscribed. And then finally, a lot of work to get print and press coverage of the individual films that are doing an awards campaign. That could be anything from pitching publications on profiles of the filmmakers to getting reviews of the film. There are entire websites and sections of all of the film trades that run prediction lists the cottage industry of awards publications. Right.
1: And in fact, many of the most impactful publications in the awards system are under PMC, the Penske Media Corporation owned by Jay Penske. So there are also inherent ethical dilemmas and bias in that level of consolidation while projecting industry judgment. In Vanity Fair's coverage of PMC, Katie Roseman is on record stating that PMC's trade publications has made it, quote, a prime landing spot for tens of millions of dollars spent annually on Oscars and Emmy advertising. Well, I know as a filmmaker, award shows and their hosts institutions. They've found very creative ways to squeeze more money out of filmmakers to participate in the system. I mean, beyond submission fees, which are usually hundreds of dollars, they might charge filmmakers to upload a screener of the film to the viewing portal, or even more common to send an email to voting members about the availability of a film in the screening room.
2: So sometimes you'll end up in situations where films will get nominated or they'll become a finalist in an award. But then the nonprofit that is running the awards ceremony will charge the film team $2,000 or $5,000 to upload a file of their film to the online streaming portal so that their members can view the film and vote on it. So of course, if you don't pay the fee to upload your film. Then very few people will be able to watch the film and be able to vote on your film.
1: You, Rintu, and Sushmit also talked about navigating their campaign with an economic disadvantage.
2: So after eligibility, the publicist starting with the fifty thousand minimum, which you did not have, what did you do?
0: We went in with a very clear strategy. We basically reached out to both our EPs, Haley Edelman and Patty Quillen, and said, "Listen." We're thinking of doing the campaign. It might seem like an outrageous idea, but let's just look at the shortlist. This is how much we need. Can you help us? So Haley and Patty jumped on board. And at the end of it, we will all come out with learnings, if not anything else. We brought on a team of publicists. That was the first expense. Then essentially, between Rinto and me, we sort of galvanized community around the film. That was the theme of the campaign. So what do we need to do to do that? And it was essentially reaching out to filmmakers and friends and telling them that we're in the race.
3: And so then we decided, let's make multiple goals. We can't spend all of this money, but we're going to spend money. We're going to spend time. The ideal goal is to get to the shortlist and then to the nomination. But if that were not to happen and the odds were definitely against us, what are the two or three other things that we could gain from this investment. I think we had this great greed for the film to be watched. And the ask was, give us your 90 minutes. Just watch the film. And we felt like if people watched the film, it would be easier to convince them that this is a film that needs support. We decided that we would tie our impact campaign with it. Wherever we did these screenings, we galvanized a lot of people who would actually amplify the film?
0: And I think like once they saw us and once we spoke to them, then they started reaching out to their friends. And we did a limited theatrical release in the US.
3: We also reached out to our funders and said, will you host the screening? So what that does is amplify the film through their network. So when they put it out as a newsletter, Inviting people in their database to the screening that they are hosting, it just immediately reaches more people than you can do individually. And because we didn't have the funds to post-screening host drinks or parties, there was a bar right across the street, a restaurant actually. After the screening, we just got people together for a round of drinks. That really helped create momentum in New York with the theatrical itself. We used the theatrical as a way to kick off the campaigning. You just start you know experimenting whoever we reached out to filmmakers whose work we've loved, admired, who were a part of the voting community, they all turned up to do these virtual q and A s and we really used the space of social media to put them out there. The campaigning is really about building a perception that your film stands a chance. A lot changed after Netflix won its first Oscar. The campaigning pivoted after the OTTs came in with the kind of budgets that they can come with. And so you're competing against you know seasoned uh, workflows. Sometimes you can't compete with entrenched systems. So you just have to create something completely different, innovative, inventive, especially when you're strapped for money. So, Abby, do you think that
1: there's any way to shift this awards landscape? So in terms of what filmmakers should do,
2: since I've been working at IDA, I have heard from filmmakers that we should be doing events discussing how to decrease the cost of awards campaigns because it's become such a financial burden on independent filmmakers. That's why IDA has the Awards Campaign Access Initiative, which is essentially just a grant for filmmakers, but it's an in-kind grant because IDA is donating our services. But even this solution points to the ways that nonprofit films, film festivals, publications are totally entwined with the awards campaign ecosystem right now. Because most corporate sponsorship money, most of the corporate advertising dollars, whatever you name it, that is from corporate streamers, distributors, all of the money that's contributed to many of these film nonprofits, they come in the three month period that is award season every single fall. So many of these film nonprofits, these film publications are completely reliant on the awards campaign season right now. And we've become so reliant on them over the last 10 years that to deforce the organizational's yearly budget and finances from the award season would now constitute rethinking the entire way that revenue is generated from these organizations. There are some film nonprofits, IDA is not one of them, but there are some film nonprofits where it's been reported in Eric Cohn's former column in IndieWire that 90% of their annual operating budget comes from corporate dollars. And if 90% comes from corporate dollars, I can tell you 100% that most of that money is coming from the fall awards season. So that's just how reliant these organizations are. And this includes things like dirt baggy volunteer, or very cinephiliac publications and organizations like Screen Slate and Film Comment in New York, I have received awards campaign for your consideration emails from those publications as well. So they're definitely also getting dollars from awards campaigns. And in many cases, that's the only revenue generation that they have. So we're all very reliant on this system right now. And so I would not rely on institutions to save filmmakers from this because institutions are incentivized right now to keep it going.
1: So it's interesting. I interviewed Barbara Twist who talked a lot about exhibition. And she made a similar point about funding. Even when you talk about nonprofits and things like labs, there's a lot of support for production, but there's not a ton of support for exhibition. Thinking about what you're saying, if we took some of that money and focused on exhibition or getting your film out to audiences or distribution, maybe there's a chance to add equity and kind of spreading access to these films that we're making.
2: Yeah. Just in terms of equity, access, and scale, in documentary film, there's 800 members of the documentary branch in the Academy of Motion Pictures and Science. So that's 800 people who create the shortlist. That's 15 films that are not finalists, but are basically nominated for the Oscars for Best Feature Documentary. And then there are five films that become the finalists. These are the things that the documentary branch selects by itself. And then after the five finalists, then it's open to every single member of the Academy to vote. So all of the early season awards campaigns and documentary film are aimed at these 800 members of the Academy. The distributors, the streamers, all of the money is spent on trying to get the attention of just 800 people in the world. As opposed to any sort of general audience, general public, or even people who would be interested in the subject matter or the issue or the impact of the film, right? And especially in documentary film, if the purpose is impact or the purpose is pushing the form or the purpose is artistry, only targeting 800 people seems a really misguided and lopsided
1: use of resources, right? It's funny when you break it down like that. Honestly, I feel like that's the conversation right there. Like we're focusing on 800 people, but it's kind of like we always say with distribution advocates, whenever we have our teach-ins, what is your goal as a filmmaker? Is your end result in making the film, is it eyeballs? Do you want money? Do you want impact? When you break it down into those numbers, 800 members who are part of the Academy versus the world... It becomes a different conversation about who we're reaching and who we're, who we're trying to attract. I do often ask myself this question about audience, especially when it comes to awards and their value. You always hear these reports, especially in the last couple of years, of how Oscar attendance is going down. People who are outside of L.A., outside of New York, people I know who are just living their everyday life. And I'm not talking about people I know in the industry. The Oscars don't really define what they watch. At the same time, when you say, oh, this is an Oscar-winning film, it does have some type of clout. But it's also a question of, like, it has clout with who? I'm just throwing that out there as something to discuss and pontificate about. I I don't necessarily have an answer to it. Like To your point, if you want to reach the largest audience possible, it is something that I think about in terms of the value of these awards that we're seeking out versus the value of an audience, the value of eyeballs on your film yeah. that are outside of the industry.
2: Yeah. And of course, the argument is if you get nominated for an Oscar or the film wins the Oscar, then more people will want to watch it. Even if that were true, which I have to assume there's some truth in it, I'm not sure the money invested into the awards campaign is actually correlated with any sort of actual increase afterwards. But we'll also not really know because the last couple of winners were all um, streamer documentaries. So we don't have any data. We don't know at all if it has translated into viewership and public awareness. But I think that argument is a little bit of an excuse because certainly the vast majority of films that participate in the awards campaign process don't receive a single nomination for anything. So those are sunk costs that can't be returned when it comes to general audience development. I think, Avil, you bring up a really good point in terms of for whom it makes a difference and what type of difference it makes in a person who doesn't work in film's mind. What does an Oscar-winning film mean? Maybe it has some ties to quality. But also, to me, this is a little bit of a dangerous road to go down if we're thinking about the health of independent film in general, because there's only one film winning the Oscar for Best Documentary a year. I mean, how many independent fiction films even get nominated for Oscars these days? It's all streamer and studio fare. The independent films that get nominated are in the best international feature category these days, plus the random viral marketing campaign. We could debate whether or not A24 is an indie. It's certainly a super indie at this point. But if you take all the A24 films out of the mix, what is really left, you know? So if we are tying ourselves to awards as a marker of quality and it costs so much money, to run a successful awards campaign, then what we are actually doing as a field, and this is exactly what the streamers want, we are actually narrowing for our general audience, for society, a conception of what a worthy an artistic film is, because it, we're tying it to something that is a hidden gatekeeper, as opposed to developing different audience conceptions of what is an independent film, what is an artistic documentary, whatever it is, we want to develop a robust viewership around an understanding of films. If everything is, oh, it was nominated for this award, then we actually just narrow the types of films that we are telling our audience is valuable to watch,
1: right? And I think the audience will tell us what those films are, what films they value. That's also a larger conversation as well for exhibition and distribution. But I do think that the audience is telling us every day what they want. And it's not necessarily what we want to hear. That's all for this episode of Distribution Advocates. Tune in for our other series installments discussing the landscapes of film school, film festivals, distribution, sales agents, and exhibition. This episode is produced by Moso House. Our producer is Nacy Watson-Johnson. Our supervising producer is Ivana Tucker. And our production manager is Samaya Adams. Sound design is by Emily Crane. Special thanks to the team at Distribution Advocates, Abby Sun, Carlos Gutierrez, Karen Sheehan, Amy Hobby, and Kelly Thomas, as well as this episode's guests, Matt Stoller, Kayla Heyer, Rentu Thomas, and Sushmit Ghosh. And of course, a heartfelt thank you to our funders, Ford Foundation, Perspective Fund, and Color Congress. Until next time, I'm your host, Avril Speaks, signing off.